0: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before I introduce our guest today, I just wanted to make a comment. You know, we are here in the United States, and I know we have listeners all over the globe, and I know a lot of you are paying close attention to what's going on in our political um State at the moment, but we are one week into the election results of our next president. And this country is pretty divided, I have to say. 50% wants one candidate, the other 50% wants the other candidate. And today is also Veterans Day. It's a very special day that we honor the people who made this country great and keep it free. So I just wanted to say all that, and I ask you all today if you're listening to this show today to take a break from all of this craziness take a break from politics turn off the tv for today ignore all the political posts on social media just ignore them they'll still be there tomorrow Um, focus on something else that's positive for one day one day today and if you do that see if you might have a better tomorrow and who knows maybe you'll do the same thing tomorrow i don't know anyway thanks for listening Um, i'm i'm We try to keep the show not political, but this is kind of what's going on in our country right now. So with that, we shall set that aside now, and I have the pleasure of introducing my guest, Um, but we're going to talk about something different that we have not spoken about on this show before, and let me just kind of share a little intro on what it's going to be about. Many cancer survivors struggle with weight gain. I know I did. Regardless of treatment protocol, weight gain can be a direct side effect as a result of medication or the treatment itself, or an indirect side effect as a result of emotional or stress eating. Often, it's a combination. Our guest has been a regular on my show many times, and Kathy Lehman is a dietitian, nutrition therapist, and certified personal trainer. She's also a breast cancer survivor and the founder of the Higher Ground Breast Cancer Survival Membership. And the Damn Mad About Breast Cancer blog, (laughs) and it's how to get off the roller coaster of emotional eating is what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you again for joining my show. I'm so excited to have you. Well,
2: thank you, Becky, for having me back. I always love being here and chatting with you. And this is exciting, three times in a very short span of time. And I love that. So thank you. Thanks and for that's three
1: from the last, the two before that. So I think yeah. this is like your fifth or sixth appearance on this show. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, and yeah. thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Well, we, we value your information and the things that you share. You are so knowledgeable. And um, it's just always such a gift that you give to our audience. So I hope people will listen. I hope they will share this message if they're dealing with some of these same issues or know someone who is. And maybe with all of that, we can all take a, a good step forward in healing ourselves and our the, the struggles that we have with weight gain And because um, nobody wants to feel like that. No, nobody enjoys that, that sensation that we're, you know, we, we've just been doing it wrong and Eating and eating, and I know when I wake up in the morning after a day like that, and believe me, I have them. Um, wake up after a day like that, and you feel just kind of bloated and gross, and I don't. I don't like that feeling. And we know what feels good to ourselves and our bodies. And Kathy, with that, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a skinny mini because we don't. I'm not, <laughs> but we all need to feel good about ourselves and who we are and where we're at. So. I'm glad you're here today. Maybe you can help us shed some light on why this is so difficult at times. So with that, first off, why don't you remind our audience, what is Higher Ground Breast Cancer Survival and Damn Mad About Breast Cancer? Sure.
2: So Higher Ground Breast Cancer Survival is my monthly membership, and it's an online membership for survivors of hormonally driven breast cancer. And in the membership, it's completely focused on health Wellness and well being for survivors. And so there's curated educational content on nutrition, exercise, and wellness. There's available on demand 24 7 information, you know, curated content. There's monthly live master and Q&A, and there's an engaged community of like-minded women who value their health, and they all inspire one another to take the best care of themselves. So that's the membership piece. I also work um, privately with women one-on-one. I have an eight-week coaching program where I help survivors of hormonally driven breast cancer who are ready to conquer those food fears and the stress and anxiety and guilt around eating and Rebuild their health and then damn mad about breast cancer is that was my first foray into Connecting and working with the breast cancer community after my own diagnosis because prior to my diagnosis I did not work with the breast cancer community. This is newer for me. So it's my bi-weekly blog on nutrition, exercise, and wellness topics for survivors of hormonally driven breast cancer. So they all feed into the same um, um, audience with a similar messaging. But I I will also say that the messaging there, if if you have breast cancer that's not hormonally driven, please know that there's information there for you as well. I don't exclude anyone. I've just found that targeting that particular segment of the breast cancer community uh, that's the type of breast cancer I had mm-hmm. and I, there's a lot of struggle in that particular community around food and that is my expertise as a dietitian and nutrition
1: therapist so i've I've started to hone in on that that focus that's good and I and I've read for years now that hormonal fed breast cancer is the most common type of breast cancer that's right and 85 percent say, yeah of yeah. women are diagnosed with hormonally driven yeah. that's right and i'm one of those so every yeah. every time i've been diagnosed they always check me for the the receptor factors the hormone receptor factors and i'm always er positive and it's gotten less and less over the years but i guess probably because i have less estrogen now i don't know i suppose so but um but yeah it's still it's still hormonal fed even though it's it's minor at this point but you know i'm getting old too so um there you go <laughs> so
2: yeah Mine was 100% estrogen driven and 80% progesterone driven. Yeah. And um, you know the good news about that type of breast cancer is it is um, one of the more um, treatable. They're all treatable, but there it is highly treatable. Meaning we have good um, we have good data on that, and we know what to do with that. Not that we, they don't know what to do with the other subtypes, but because it's the most common, um, that we could throw a lot of things at it. and... Yeah. Um. But I also find, you know, in my work, as I was saying, is because of that hormonal piece and the connection with food and hormones and misunderstanding about all of that and misinformation, um, it's a really common challenge in the community, of that subtype around, you know, just food fears and anxiety. Right. And you and I talked about nutrition myths the last time I was on, mm, and we true. did touch on one of those
1: hormonally-driven issues. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. We talked about soy, didn't we? <laughs> I yeah. remember that. So, yeah, we listeners, about- go back thought- and listen to that. Go, Just go back and go to our, our uh, host page on Voice America um, and find our host page, and you can search for yeah. Kathy Lehman, and her topics will come up, and then you can click on any of them. And I think we talked about the the soy problem in those last time is it is it a problem or is it not you know so um yeah we we did that then and I would really encourage you guys to listen actually to all of her podcasts because they're really good um so Kathy I just just to kind of complete the circle with this you know ER positive is the most common type of cancer which breast cancer which is why they know so much about it they've invested the most research in it because it impacts the most people a second type of of breast cancer is HER2 positive, which means it doesn't feed on on estrogen, it feeds on a protein. And that protein, for a long time, they didn't have any kind of treatment for it because they didn't know what to do. And then I think it was Genentech came out with a drug called Herceptin a few years ago, and they've had tremendous success with that. And now, it's, it, where it was really considered a curse to have that kind, now it's, they've, got a, they've got a pretty good solution for it. And then, of course, another type is triple negative, meaning it doesn't feed on estrogen or progesterone or HER2, so they don't really know what's feeding it. And that one is very challenging because they're not sure what feeds it, so they don't know for sure what stops it. But they do throw a lot of different things at it, and they find something that works, and that's always the goal. And I know a lot of people who've had triple negative breast cancer who are thriving and doing well. So there's there's no... Um, now, let me rephrase that. There is light at the end of this tunnel, and there's a lot of hope in all of this disease factor. So just hang in there. and um, so But there are things we can do and to kind of set some of this aside. So, Kathy, let's talk about what is emotional eating.
2: Yes, let's talk about that. One of my favorite topics is... Um, So emotional eating is using food as a way to cope with difficult situations or circumstances or feelings. And it's really a way to distract or to comfort or to avoid what's going on. And, you know, health, financial, relationship, work or professional challenges, those are all areas where emotional eating can be used to cope with the challenges and stresses that come with all of those things. And, you know, if someone's unsure about whether they're struggling with emotional eating or if they're unsure about what it is, I have five ways to tell if you're eating emotionally. So Ooh. let me know if you'd like to talk yes. about it.
1: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm going to okay. write them down, too. Okay. So if you hear my okay. paper shuffling, that's why, because I'm writing. Get your pen and paper.
2: Okay. All so, right. so, All right. So here are five ways to tell if you're someone who is, um, after hearing that description, that piqued your interest and you're like, hmm, maybe, maybe there's something to that for me. Let's see. So stress eating comes at you suddenly. Often it's an urge to eat versus a feeling of hunger. And there's a very distinct difference between those two. True physiological hunger comes on gradually. So this is, you know, your last meal, the last time you've eaten, it's digested, it's metabolized, and it's used for fuel. And your your blood sugar levels drop and other physiological indicators remind you it's time to eat. But stress eating is all of a sudden, you know, you're watching TV or you're working or whatever it is, and all of a sudden you feel like you need a cookie. That's not true physiological hunger. So it's a sudden onset. Number two, stress eating sends you searching, sometimes frantically, um, for a particular food to eat. And it's rarely a big pile of fruits and veggies. I can tell you that. Um, I can tell you that too. (laughs) (laughs) True hunger sends you searching for anything like even an apple will do it will satisfy your appetite and it will alleviate the sensation of hunger but stress eating again you're looking for something particular again let's I don't mean to pick on cookies because I love them myself but maybe you're looking for a, a cookie you're ravaging the pantry saying I know there's one more in here when there's plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables sitting right there on the counter that's not of interest to you Number three, stress eating drives you to eat without thinking, such as you look down at an empty ice cream carton, but you don't remember reminisc- you don't remember finishing it, um, or an empty bag of potato chips. You're know, like, what? oh, I'm at the bottom. Who? I didn't even realize, and I just opened this bag before I sat down. So it it's like that. You're not you're not tuned in. Number four. Stress eating sends you careening from one generally unhealthy food to the next, and you're eating large quantity, quantities of each without reaching that feeling of satisfaction. So you'll just maybe you'll finish the ice cream carton, and then you go on to the potato chips, and then you head for the cookies, and you just can't seem to be satisfied regardless of the volume that you eat of anything. And then finally, stress eating weighs on your mind. With feelings of guilt and shame and disgust or regret, Wow,
1: you know that that's so huh, that's so true and so clear the way you just said that. And you know, I've had my moments of stress eating, and i and I still do have those moments. and and in fact, I had one last week. Um, I think I put on four pounds in one week. It's gone now, but, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know how i I can see myself at some time in my life in every one of these situations. and um and it does weigh on your mind. you know, when you know you've had a bad day like that, and um, but once it's done, it's it's done. so so, yeah, so, wow, okay, I've got all those down. Is there anything else about what is emotional eating? I mean, that's clearly a great way to look at it to know if that's what you're doing. And when I'm yeah. doing it, I'm not looking for an apple or an orange. I'm looking for, for potato chips or honey nut Cheerios in a bowl, or <laughs>
2: you know, just yeah. something
1: sweet. I'm looking for something sweet generally for me, but it varies, I'm sure, from person to person.
2: Yeah. Well, that and that's a good point that you shared your um, own experience with what you're looking for when you're in that place, and it and what we see in the research is it's typically carbohydrate heavy, sugary, sometimes mm-hmm. fatty. Foods um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I keep going back to the fruits and vegetables, but those are such an obvious example that people can relate to. is those foods are not high in any of those sugar right. or fat or carbohydrate that you know, like the processed carbohydrate. Um, and we can t- will talk about as we go on why that is. But yeah, that that's definitely typically what people go for. And and I would also point out, you know, that's emotional eating uh, in the emotional overeating. There are also people and this is the camp that I live in, is when you get stressed, you don't eat. And it, you know, you, the thought of food just, <clears throat> excuse me, can make you just feel ill and you don't even think about food. You're just so stressed. And I remember at my diagnosis, I was just um, eating sort of on rote because it, <clears throat> pardon me, it wasn't, I just, I have the opposite reaction. I shut down, my hunger goes away the thought of food just makes me feel like ill. So it's, and you know, you can be in either camp. Um, And I've seen this all the years I've worked as a nutrition therapist and I've worked heavily in the eating disorders and disordered eating arena. Um, And, you know, people tend to fall into camps, but typically people tend to eat emotionally rather than shut down. I see that more often. And it tends to be more of a problem if you eat emotionally because typically if your appetite goes away, under stress, because of again the reasons we'll talk about um, soon, but you know, if your appetite's gone, eventually it comes back and yeah. it, it kind of balances itself out. And you know, you know, the pattern that your body takes on, your mind takes on, you know, your pattern after mm-hmm. a while you've lived in your body a while, yeah. You know, if you're someone who shuts down, but eventually you start to eat again because you're truly physiologically hungry, right. If You eat emotionally, that's a little bit of a different animal because of the you
1: drive. know. It- It's kind of interesting, Kathy, as we talk about this, because when I think about my own personal... And I can't talk about anybody else because, first off, I don't know their story, nor do I want to talk about somebody else's problem. (laughs) I'll talk about my own problem. Um, When I emotionally eat, generally, I've been able to figure out over the years, it's because I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm bored. Um, These are all things that just kind of lead me down. It's like, oh, I can get a cookie, you know, and whatever. When I'm angry, when I get mad about something, food is the last thing on my mind. I clean my house. (laughs) I get up and start cleaning things, you know, and then when, and I just, you know, in my mind, I'm just like, I'm still angry about whatever it was that caused that anger and, and I clean my house. But when I, when I settle down and I really start to, you know, dwell on whatever made me angry, then I start to feel hurt or I feel sad, or whatever, and then I start eating. And it's just, it's been an interesting thing to be able to pick up on that. And I have no idea how to fix that, but I know you do, but we're going to take a break. So um, amazing how fast this first segment just went. So so stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit BreastFriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's e l e k t a.com. Into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to our program. As always, I'd like to just remind you of the four ways you can be involved in this program. First off, share the link to the new to this program if you think that this subject would be interested, you know, interesting to a friend of yours. Forward it, share it with them. Um, you can donate to this program to keep it alive, and that is by texting BF Radio, stands for Breast Friends Radio, to four one four four four. You can join breast friends around the globe. And introduce yourself to the group. It's a Facebook page, and it's actually a group page, so you can comment, you can post your stuff, um, and then just tell us who you are, where you're from, what you like about a recent episode you listened to. But do try to keep it. We're, we keep it very non-political, and please don't use it as a way to sell your merchandise to our audience. Use it as a tool to help people understand where you are in your journey, and and maybe how. How something helped you through this. Um, and then, for nominate yourself as a guest, you can reach re- email me at becky at breastfriends.org. And let me know what it is that you'd like to talk about, whether it's an inspirational story or educational content. We look for both and um, always like to have keep our options open, what the subject might be. So please do those things, consider that. And with that, welcome back to our show, Kathy. We were just talking about what is emotional eating, and you gave us five ways to tell if what we're doing is emotional eating. And I am so thankful you did that. It's very um, eye-opening and, you know, every one of these I can relate to. So I just haven't thought of them or put them down on a list this way. The only one that really sticks on my mind is, because I do feel this is number five, that it weighs on your mind after you've done it. And yes, it does. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it's just maybe better not to start. So with that, what's the cause of emotional eating?
2: So I'll have another list for you. I have six causes. But before I get to that, uh, I want to okay. preface it by saying, you know, often people think well, I want to talk about what isn't emotional eating. So people often think it's a lack of self-control. And it's not that. If it were that if it, you know, easy, if that were the case, there are ways to develop discipline around food that don't involve so much angst and stress and guilt and remorse. Um, but that's not typically what's going on. Generally, there's a trigger that kicks off what we call the emotional eating cycle. So imagine this: you explain. You, you, I think you have an idea of this in your head. But so imagine this: there's a circumstance that occurs or happens, however you want to say that, and it upsets you. Or in your instance, you're explaining to me or it makes you angry. But so we'll come back to that. But so this circumstance happens, you get upset. And you default to your trusted coping mechanism, and you feel an overwhelming urge to eat because that's your coping mechanism. So you eat to excess, and then you feel guilty and powerless over food. So that emotional eating cycle is four stops along that cycle. The circumstance that happens, you get upset. Number two is you default to this coping mechanism of eating, and number three, you eat to excess, and then number four, you feel guilty and powerless, and that cycle continues. So, learning what individual triggers are for you is helpful in identifying and learning from those emotional eating cycles because usually what happens is someone gets stuck in that cycle and they're so, they spend all their energy beating themselves up about being in the cycle in the first place that they neglect to step back step back, and look at it just from a neutral position and say what the heck just happened and what's going on and what can I do about it so having said that there's not any one particular cause there generally are six there are others uh, but in for the interest of time I thought I'd choose the six that were most okay. um, people could connect to most easily so you want to start with those yes jump? Okay, so number one, it's a learned behavior, it being emotional, eating, or using food to soothe. So think about, you know, you have children of your own, and, you know, we were all children, so think about offering children food to not cry, or to behave, or to be
1: patient, you know, using food as a reward or as bribery. <laughs> I'm laughing. If you're we go get a cookie. That's how I get my dog to come home. Okay, Swayze, let's go home now. And he'll pull on me like, no, I don't want to go home and I'll offer him a cookie when we get home. And he'll go, oh! Up the stairs he goes.
2: <laughs> See, it works for my bad, yeah. Animals too, <laughs> but animals don't have free rein to the kitchen, so you know it doesn't translate the same way. But so it's a learned behavior in that way, such as you know I just described. Um, so you, you know you offer kids food not to cry or to make things better or to take away pain, such as you know we're going to go to the doctor and then we're going to go get an ice cream. Yeah. Um, you know, or if you stop crying, mommy will give you a uh, candy. So it that is learned behavior and the other type of learned behavior is it's modeled you know emotional eating is modeled by parents pa- i've worked with a lot of kids with eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors and unhealthy relationships with food and 90 percent of the time <laughs> parents are you know well-intentioned but they're they're sort of fanning the flames you know they that's a whole other conversation about that but i'm not blaming i'm just saying what you model in your relationship with food is what your kids pick up. Also other adults around your children or us as children model behavior with food. And I've even had clients who've said to me, you know what, I learned how to use food to feel better um, from TV. Like they would watch these rom-coms and they would see women being dumped by their boyfriend or their husband or jilted or cheated on or whatever and they go to the ice cream, they get an order pizza, they get a big box of candy and sit down and make themselves feel better in the bathtub full of bubbles. So they, it's modeled behavior and you pick up on that and it's, you start to think that that's normal. So that's one cause, learned behavior. Number two is being disconnected or unaware. And what this is, is this is unconscious eating. This is not tuning into your hunger, your fullness, your satiety cues, and this is mindless eating. So this is just, again, it's like looking down at the bottom of the bag, your hand scrapes the bottom of the potato chip bag and you think, wow, where did those go? You weren't paying attention to any of that. So number three, um, and this is a big one, food is is comfort, it's pleasure, it's companionship. So I always say, you know, food is cheap, it's readily available, and it is 100% legal. And because of that, If you are someone who uses food to comfort yourself or for pleasure or companionship, it's so easily accessible that it's difficult to, and when you're being um, disconnected or unaware, it's difficult to separate those out. Um, Food is very soothing. It's the one thing that never disappoints you, other than probably your animals, you know, dogs. But it, it never disappoints. It doesn't talk back to you. It doesn't challenge you sometimes it's the only thing you have to look forward to or not you specifically but it's the only thing that someone has to look forward to at the end of a day like I finished this day at work my job that I hate and I'm going to go home and I'm going to have that ice cream and cookie you know whatever that may be and food is a very accommodating companion so um, and you don't have to be if you hear that you may be thinking of someone who's single or alone and you don't have to be you can be in a relationship and being alone you can be Um, You know, you can just always feel the need that you need a companionship of food. So it's comfort, pleasure, companionship. Number four, um, another cause, and this is, again, this is huge, um, there's an inability to tolerate uncomfortable or difficult feelings. So someone may be avoiding things that feel bad. And we learn that again at a very young age. It's not okay to be angry. It's not okay to be sad. And I'm going to just... Throw this out and let this fall where it may be, <laughs> particularly for young girls, although I think this is changing, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you, you'd be quiet, you'd be nice, you don't cry, you just, you know, kind of disappear and don't get angry. And what do you do with those feelings? If you don't express them, if you squash them, they're going to come out somewhere, Okay. So you don't learn how to tolerate those uncomfortable or difficult feelings, and then food becomes the way that you learn to tolerate them, because you distract yourself from those difficult feelings, and you also have an inability to sit in the suckiness. You know, you're just, Mm -hmm. there are times when we just feel horrible, and some people are so uncomfortable, just impossible for them to sit and feel that discomfort, they need to distract. So to your point, you mentioned anger, as when you're angry, you clean your house. But then after the anger sort of burns itself out, after you've cleaned enough toilets, <laughs> and you sit down, and you're thinking, okay, I was angry, but I'm angry because I'm so hurt. And, and it's not a conscious thinking th- thought. It's now I th- I need comfort. I need to be soothed. And what does that for me? Ice cream right? So you're not, you don't need soothing when you're angry. You need to get the anger out and do something with it. And that usually is action. Although people do eat when they're angry, but that tends to not be the norm. Um, so there's a distinction there. It's, you don't really need comfort when you're angry. You don't want people, you know, saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. You're angry. You're like, no, no, I, I'm angry and I have to get it out. So that's a clear distinction. And mm, then wow. number one, right. And then number five, um, another big one particularly in the breast cancer community body negativity shame and hatred you know when you don't love your body you are not compelled to take good care of it and emotional eating the act of emotional eating is not honoring your body it's actually punishing your body and that body love and acceptance encourages self-care and health supportive habits but when all that's missing you're kind of beating yourself up, you know. And you mentioned when you, um, you know, if you have a day where you've emotionally eaten and then you wake up the next day and you don't feel well. And I'm going to talk about that, too. But, you know, that's that's that was punishment. It's trauma to your body, actually, if you think about it that way. Um, because it's like if you took your car to the gas station and you overfilled it with gas. Well, you know, there's your car only needs a certain amount of gas to run well. Is that going to make your car melt down? No, but it's going to spill gas all over the ground. And, you know, so our bodies are the same way. So when we overload them, um, you know, that doesn't feel good. And then finally, there is a physiological vulnerability. And this means when we are, I say when it's when we are too something, T-O-O, too something, too hungry, too tired, too overscheduled, too stressed, So what happens is our body's stress response is this very complex physiological cascade of hormones and neuropeptides and glucocorticoids, which are cortisol, you've probably heard of that, and more. And there are associations and interactions between stress and these neurobiological adaptations and feeding behaviors with our stress response circuit directly connected. And so when you have this cascade of hormones and neuropeptides and neurochemicals that trigger hunger and and don't trigger the satisfaction or the fullness, this is helpful for women to hear because they put a lot of pressure on themselves to kind of white knuckle or willpower their way through emotional eating. Like, oh, if I were just better, if I could just be more, if I had more willpower. But learning there's a neurobiological connection can be a relief. Now, that's not an excuse to do that. It's just Information that helps you have a broader understanding of what's going on So when you're over hungry, for example, there are changes in brain chemistry and hormones that reduce your ability to manage your impulses and to make good decisions I mean just it's like the hangry thing think about when you're hungry Do you start to act like a four-year-old like you just have (laughs) no patience? You don't concentrate you can't focus so you're low on glucose and this is your brain's preferred fuel so your brain is essentially starved of its energy, which reduces your ability to control your emotions and your actions. And then there are these neuropeptides. There's particular one one in particular called neuropeptide Y, and these are involved with appetite regulation. You know, we all think, if you don't know this background, you think your body gets hungry because you ate your last meal and you eat and you're full. But there is this very complex um, situation going on <laughs> in terms of this hunger-fullness Um, eating behavior um, system. And so also when you're overtired, a similar situation occurs. So changes in brain chemistry and increased craving for carbohydrates. And people tend to go for food if they're overtired. And I remind them, you're not over hungry, you are overtired, what you need is sleep, there's no amount of food that will give you the energy and the Uh, Revitalization that your body and your brain need with if you don't get the sleep that you need sleep is you can't replace that with anything Not there's not enough coffee in the world (laughs) to replace that Um, But it's very easy to replace or to not to replace excuse me. It's very easy to confuse hungry and tired
1: You know one of the things that I've kind of adopted in my life from just different things that I've read is when I'm thinking I'm hungry and I know I probably shouldn't be hungry but I'm not really stressing over anything. I'm just, I think habit, it's more habit than anything. Sometimes you can get to that point, I'm sure. But I'll find if I go get a glass of water and just drink a big glass of water, that sometimes seems to at least calm that sensation for a while. Is that—is that a proven thing or is that just something that I do and it works for me? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Well, sometimes you really are thirsty and it's easy to confuse thirst with hunger as well um but again if you're truly physiologically hungry because you're empty because it's been mm-hmm. several hours since you last ate um you know the water is not going to fill you up there are no calories in water right so it will take up space because of the volume but it will not give your body what it needs to feel full and satisfied and so one of the things you're describing is where I do a lot of work with my clients is helping them get back in touch with what their body signals are telling them. I use intuitive eating principles. I've been trained in intuitive eating. I use mindful and mind, uh, mindful eating principles because I find women are so disconnected from their bodies and the signals that it is sending them um, that they just don't know when they're hungry or full or satisfied. And And I use this example. If you are... Let's say you're going to get something to eat because you really are hungry, but you feel like you should eat the right thing for your breast cancer. Like, I don't want to make my breast cancer come back, so I have to eat the right thing, the food, the good, healthy food. So you go for the carrots, and you eat a dump truckload full of carrots. You will be full, but you will not be satisfied. You'll still be looking for a candy bar or a cookie or anything because all those carrots filled you up, but they did not give you the satisfaction that you need. And so listening to your body for when you're truly hungry, is it mouth hunger? Is it head hunger? Is it tummy hunger? There are differences and very strong distinctions between all of those. And when you can learn the differences and distinctions and act accordingly, that's when you really can start to get a handle on the emotional eating if it's something that you struggle with.
1: Well, you know what? Let's... We only have a, a couple minutes till our next break. In fact, Aaron, I think we're going to skip our next break. We have a lot to talk about. So, if you'll acknowledge that you saw that, that would or heard that, that'd be great. Um, so, what I want to ask you, because you kind of started down that path, what can we do when we're when we're feeling the need for food but we're not hungry? We're we're emotional eating, specifically emotional eating. What can we do? Um, what are some things we can do instead? Yeah, When we're feeling that, and I know that's a big topic, and I expect it to get us through quite a bit of this next break, but um, we may have to have you back again. <laughs> <laughs> we never seem to get done in one segment, but, you know, that's but okay. You know, Keeps my calendar you know, full, so.
2: <laughs> these topics are so, if I could just take a second and say, these are topics that are, in my experience, what I see in my practice and in my work over all these years, they're very common issues in the food world. And and when women, and I say women, I'm not excluding men because I've worked with men who have emotional eating challenges. So it's not it's not only the women who struggle with this, but research shows us that more women, they're more likely than men to report unhealthy eating behaviors as a result of stress. And again, we can talk about that because that was one of our headings, it's who's most likely to struggle with this. But um, women contact me and say, I want to lose weight. I want to get healthier. Five minutes into a conversation, I can tell if this is a straight, I need to just get a you know, do some tweaking to my diet, or if it is all the other stuff that has nothing to do with food. And I learned this early on in my practice that, you know, I'm ready to help people get a handle on their weight and feel healthy and vibrant and great and keep them out of hospitals and reduce their risk for disease. This was all before my cancer. And I found very early on that it had nothing to do with the food. And so that's what, when I went to graduate school, that really informed what I wanted to get my graduate degree in, which is health psychology, because it's behavior change, and it is mindset, and it's the focus on the behaviors that support all these healthier outcomes. And they people don't talk about that a lot. They just talk about, you need this diet, or you need to eat this food, or
1: eat this list of foods. It's not that simple. So... Well, I appreciate that because it's not that simple, that is for sure. So,
2: yeah. so So what what can we do? Yeah, so so one of our questions that you and I were going to talk about is what can someone struggling with emotional eating do to get help? So I'm going to wrap that into your question about what can okay. you do if you are, I, I, if I understand your question correctly, it's if you feel like you're struggling with this and you're in the middle of it, what can you do to prevent right it now.
1: or right stop now. it? Stop it right now. Just this okay. moment, this particular time, I'm searching for cookies. What can I do to stop that sensation? Yes. Or can I? Maybe I can't. Yeah. I don't know. You can, but it,
2: it takes work. So let. so here's some things to think about. Um, so first of all, that trigger. Remember I talked about that mm-hmm. emotional eating cycle is usually triggered by something. Right. I will ask my clients, all right, they're describing this episode they had, and I'll say, okay, let's back it up. What happened? You know, what happened... If you could just back that up, you know, what happened here? And then what happened before that? It's like recreating a crime scene. You know, let's go back to the beginning. What was going on? There's usually something, if you are honest and really looking, that triggered the behavior. So let's say, because we are talking to our breast cancer community, let's say you went for, uh, let's say you have a scan coming up. And it's your annual scan and your annual appointment with your oncologist. And we all know that that is a very um, emotionally charged time. Yes. You can't control the outcome of the scan. You can't control, you can't control any of that, but you can control your food. <laughs> so um, and you can't you feel like you can't control your emotions. So the trigger in this situation would be, this looming scan, okay, that's coming up. So that's a trigger. And that's a circumstance. So you can't change that circumstance. You have to have the scan, and you can't change the outcome of it. But your thoughts around that circumstance are what you can control. If you don't dig deep and think, okay, I'm just going to, you know, it, it could go either way. It could could be a great outcome. It could be not a great outcome. I can't control it but food is not gonna help me control that or change the outcome. So what can I do instead? So first of all, you can just get that clarity to say, I see you, I see you, little trigger. I know what you're trying to do, Um, and I acknowledge that, but we're not going down that road this time. What can I do instead? Can you just sit with that feeling of apprehension? Can you journal about that feeling of apprehension? Can you go for a walk? Can you clean your toilets? to work that apprehension out of your body. Can you dance? Can you call someone? Can you text someone? Can you go online and play you know, Scrabble online? Something that you know, you've identified the trigger and the trigger gives you the thought that, oh my God, this could be horrible. And then that thought gives you this feeling, this really strong emotion in your body that you don't wanna feel so you go for the food. So what do you do with that strong emotion? You write it out, you move it out, you talk it out or you sit in it because it will pass. I always remind clients that these emotions, strong emotions, whether they're positive or negative. I mean, first, just to digress for a second, think about when you're feeling euphoric. You don't say, I cannot wait to feel so good. I I need to do something to to squash this feeling of happiness. No, (laughs) but you also don't stay happy forever. It comes and then it goes, right? Hard, negative, uncomfortable feelings are the same way. I I describe them like a wave. They come in, and then they go out, right? So if you can ride that wave, if you can surf that urge, if you can surf that discomfort, knowing that it will dissipate, that's awareness. So it does several things. It helps you step back from going to your go-to mechanism, which is eating, it increases your awareness of what's going on around you, meaning in your head, your thoughts, you know, your environment that triggered the circumstance that triggered this thought that then triggered this emotion that then triggered this action of eating. So the awareness is increased, and you're learning to tolerate those icky feelings. You're not going to die from feeling scared. You're not going to die from feeling apprehension or anxious. It will come and go. That's true. Right. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so that relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that's in the moment. That's, you know, one thing. Um, I've seen some recommendations to journal your food. I'm not a fan of food journals because I, people lie <laughs> on their food journals. They <laughs> Which don't completely defeats the purpose, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why bother? Use yeah. that energy for something else. You're yeah, going to lie to yourself. That's right. you only lie yeah. to yourself. So the, uh, calories will still show. <laughs> Right. You know, I rather have people keep track of all, you know, the, the great things they're eating. When I say that, I mean, you know, people, if you're, if you're struggling with this emotional eating, you keep having this conversation in your head about all the things you should not eat. Well, I shouldn't eat cookies. I shouldn't bring them in the house. I shouldn't eat chocolate, so I shouldn't bring it in the house.
1: Oh, but when you're feeling like that, if you don't have them in the house, you will go get some. Yeah, I mean, unless you're in lockdown and you can't go. <laughs> yeah, the stores are open, though. <laughs> yeah,
2: you can order it on Amazon. Be there in 24
1: <laughs> let me, hours. Let me ask you something for clarification on one of the, um, after acknowledge your trigger and then, you know, take some different actions, one of them was to call someone. Are you suggesting we call someone and talk about what we're feeling right now or just talk to somebody about something else entirely and get it out of your head? I mean, I, what do you mean by that?
2: Uh, well, that's a great question. So either way. Sometimes um, people who struggle with emotional eating, they have someone who gives them accountability. Like I used to have my clients text me when they were feeling challenged. Like they, were, they felt this urge to eat, they felt this urge to um, you know, just have a party with the pantry. And I would say, just send me a text. I'm not going to respond to you unless I feel like you're in danger and, and you need help, you know 911 type of help. But sometimes just breaking that, psych, that thought cycle by um, pulling yourself out of the moment by connecting with someone else mm-hmm. can be helpful to, you want to break break that cycle. And so it can be just texting someone who is an accountability partner. Or it could be, to your point, just call it, say, I just need to change my focus. I need to change, you know, I need to distract myself with something other than food. I'm going to call my friend or whoever yeah. or Or it could be, again, someone that you've had a conversation with and say, look, this is something I'm struggling with and sometimes I need a little support. Would you mind if when I'm feeling challenged,
1: can I give you a quick call or could I text? That's a great idea. So you kind of have your... your Pre-organized buddy to sort of help you. Yeah, you know, like what? Why are you feeling this way? What do you, you know, what's going on? I know one of the things I do that's not on your list, but you might want to add it. As I watch Hallmark Christmas movies, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're on. They're on one after another after another. You can go in and you can actually record. Set your DVR up to record them all, and then when you're feeling that way, you can. Just go to your DVR and turn one of them on and skip through the commercials. <laughs> you know, Just right. somehow it's those kind of get my mind off of what I'm feeling sad or, you know, whatever whatever's bothering me. I can watch one of those and just get it out of my head. And at least well, for a while. So that, yeah, that's and, helpful but, to me. You know, to that, that's
2: a great idea. And I'll tell you, Becky, it, it can be anything that is not food related, as long as it's legal and safe and healthy, right? Healthy meaning right. healthy to you, body, mind, and spirit right um, I'm not saying skip the food and go for a cigarette that's not what I'm talking about but it is <laughs> that's good you're right so when you're sitting and watching your Hallmark movies because you're feeling crappy think about what that Hallmark movie gives to you you just said it makes you feel well first of all they're very predictable so very. There, there's a formula I was trying yeah, formula
1: is gonna be this time
2: you know? yeah they're very formulaic they just swap out the characters yeah yep. so that's predictability that feels comforting right especially now our world is not predictable it is majorly chaotic to your point when you open the show and people are looking for some sort of predictability and calm and and things that they can anticipate that will not blow up in their face something that you're like okay this is going to have a good outcome Hallmark (laughs) movies are it but if I asked you what other you know name two other things that a Hallmark movie does for you that is supportive what would those two things be
1: um, they always work out the problem, whatever it is. Always. Sometimes it takes longer. Some movies, there's always a, a breakdown somewhere in the movie. Um, sometimes it's in the middle, and you got the whole rest of it to try to figure it out. And sometimes it happens right at the end, and then they just fix it quickly. But, um, but I know I think it's just knowing that life isn't perfect, and everybody has. Even though these characters are perfect, they're always really beautiful. They look great together. Everything's flowing, but there's still going to be a problem. What is the problem? And then how do they get through it, you know, and sometimes it involves hot chocolate and cookies, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> they just figure it out. And, um, and it's, so it's just nice to know that these perfect people have problems, you know, they misunderstand, they misjudge, they read something the wrong way, they, you know, there's just a, things that happen, but it's it happens to even these, quote, perfect people that are on TV. So if it happens to them, why shouldn't I expect things like that to happen to me? I'm not perfect. Uh-huh. And you know? I
2: would... I would suggest that what you're saying is you're not alone in feeling. Yeah, it.
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Maybe that's it. Maybe because that's it, it can be very isolating to struggle with emotional eating. Mm-hmm. You isolate intentionally sometimes when you want to emotionally eat. You don't do that in front of people, you'd like to do it in, in private. Yeah. So that's isolating. Yeah. And then the feelings of shame and guilt that come with it are very isolating. You don't feel like being with people when you feel horrible because you've just eaten so
1: much. So yeah, yeah, so
2: maybe it feels like you're not alone in what you're you're experiencing.
1: That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah, but but it is kind of fun to guess when you meet the characters. Okay, where's the breakdown going to happen? Who's going to do what to? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, but it's always there. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's the formula. <laughs> it is the formula. Yep. <laughs> so can you think of one other thing that that does for you that feels um,
2: good and comforting and? Or- Whatever it does for you. I don't want to put words
1: in your mouth. I guess that it's going to be okay. You know, it's always a happy, there's always a happy ending, um, which I know is not, that's not real in life, but it feels good to think and, and believe that there's going to be a happy ending. And And I know in real life, we don't always have happy endings. You know, couples get divorced, people, you know, make mistakes, they're going to do something wrong. It's not always going to end well. But... But in Hallmark movies, they always end well. <laughs> and so to me, that that gives me, I don't know, it gives me hope, I suppose, you know. And, and another show I really like is Monk. I watch Monk because um, I, I love all those episodes because he's so brilliant. But, um, but I, I watch those sometimes, too, when I'm feeling that way. It's a whole different set of feelings, but it's a distraction, you know. And I think that's part of it is that it's just the distraction that you get for a period of time. To get your mind off of whatever was bothering you, and it gives you time to calm down. And maybe by the end of that time, you're not feeling quite so um, negative or so bad about whatever was going on before you started watching the show. And that's on both of those. So I don't know if that, I, I think time sometimes helps, you know, just to get past it all. But, yeah. Well, you're kind
2: of buying yourself time in a safe space. Yeah. You know, you're creating an environment that is supportive of you being able to check out for a while. Mm-hmm. Because that's really what it is when you emotionally eat. You're checking out. You know, you're, you're feeding these, these urges rather than dealing with, um, you know, and urges are immediate. Urges are like five-year-olds. You know, five-year-olds have urges and they act on them. Yeah, adults that's true. Adults have urges and they recognize what they are. And if we acted on every single urge we had, <laughs> some people do that. But yeah. most <laughs> adults who are emotionally mature and healthy psychologically don't do that. I'm not saying they're perfect. None of us are perfect. We do all the things you just said. We make mistakes. We screw up. We do things that we can't believe we would do. But all in all, we can pretty much keep it together. And we can adult, as they say. But those urges, when you are feeling something that's icky or uncomfortable, the urges are just to move that icky uncomfortableness out of the way and, and do something else. So you're creating an environment that's tolerable. So what you're doing with your movies and Monk is creating a tolerable <laughs> environment, and I would suggest when you are in that moment, when that environment you've created is making you feel secure and warm and cozy and like everything's going to be okay, that's a good time to then sit and think, all right, what what happened? You know, what got me here in front of the Hallmark movie? Mm. Can I? You know, what was it that drove me to this? That trigger that drove this behavior? And what's it like not using the food? I mean, a Hallmark Channel movie can be a great way to manage feelings and process. You know, you're still <laughs> ignoring, so there's yeah. more to be done after the movie's over. Sure. <laughs> it, just, it gets you to a place where you can think clearly and step mm-hmm. back from the situation when you're out of the situation and the feelings have passed to look at it objectively True. and learn from it. So that next time you say, "Okay," like I said, you okay? I see you, you little trigger. I'm, <laughs> you know, I know your pattern, and we are not going for the cookies. Well, here's what we're going to do instead. So, wow. you, and
1: you get to decide what that is, and it's different for everyone. And so I have more. to add that piece into my next time I get into a Hallmark movie binge. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> might take might take me three or four of those in a row before I get there, but you know, it happens. We all have days like that, and you know, to try to deny that we do, I think, is not. Not helping ourselves either. If we can, at least acknowledge that we're having an issue. Um, whatever it is, we're doing to to solve that. I think that you know, it's just recognition is is the first part of the battle. Just to at least acknowledge it, and then figure out how we're going to cope with that. We are down to our last few seconds. So, Kathy, I am I am so so honored to have you on my show. You always add such a great amount of of information. It's helpful. It's some things that people can write down and actually do today. So I just really want to thank you for being a guest on my show again. I know I'll have you back. <laughs> we we'll just have to figure out the next topic. But we are out of time. I, I'm sorry <laughs> to say. Um, but, but, yeah, we didn't get through you. all of our, our yeah. topics. There's a lot me more. Too. So I know. So we might have to have you back here very soon. Um, let me ask you just real quickly, would you please give your web address to people? So if they want to reach out to you, learn about more about your programs, um, how can they do that? Oh, very that'd quickly. That would
2: be great. Sure. So the website's Kathy Lehman, Kathy with a C, C-A-T-H-Y-L-E-M-A-N. It's kathylehman.com. And I have a special gift for your listeners. If they go to kathylehman.com forward slash gift, okay. you can find that there. So yeah, awesome. very simple, kathylehman.com. Thank you for well, having me. It's a you're pleasure. You're
1: welcome. We will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope and we are here to help you find it.
0: Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.